0: After another disputed police shooting of a black man in Wisconsin, more cities burn. The RNC begins its big rollout tonight, and Joe Biden suggests he might lock down the entire American economy again over COVID. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't like the government spying on you? Then visit expressvpn.com Ben to stay anonymous. Well, there are actual serious things happening in the world. The good news is that Many in the media are focusing on, you know, the White House Rose Garden or Kellyanne Conway's marriage. We'll get to all of that a little bit later on in the program, but we begin today with another disputed police shooting. This one in Kenosha, Wisconsin, is receiving all sorts of attention because, again, there is video footage of a fragment of the actual shooting incident. What you will see here is disturbing, so there is your warning. Uh, What you see here is a black man. His name is uh, is Jacob. Okay, his, his name, according to CNN. is, uh, I guess they're now releasing it. So I was, I was a little hesitant about saying it. Uh, so Jacob Blake is the man's name. What well, you can see in this particular case is Jacob Blake walking away from the police officers who are telling him to stop. They have their police weapons drawn on him as he is walking away. He walks over to his car. It is unclear whether he has something in his hand or if he doesn't have something in his hand, it is unclear whether there is something in the car, whether there isn't something in the car. And then they shoot him when he reaches into the car. He's completely ignoring them as all of this goes on. He's been shot either seven or nine times by various accounts. And uh, he is now in, I believe, serious condition. So he is still alive. This led off a series of riots last night in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Now, here's the thing. We literally don't know what happened here. Okay, all you know is what's on the tape. So all you know is that there's some white police officers They are following this black man who's walking away from them. They have their guns drawn. We have no idea why their guns are drawn. We have no idea what happened immediately previous to this. We have heard an account that he was breaking up some sort of fight between two women, but we literally have no confirmation of this. We don't know whether that is true. The only thing that we know in this particular case is what is on the tape and what is already on record. We know that what is on record is that he has a history of assaulting police. He also has passed charges for domestic abuse and a sex crime as well, and there's a warrant for his arrest. That is what we know documentarily, okay? So that doesn't mean that the shooting is good. It doesn't mean that the shooting is bad. I'm just telling you what we know at this point. What we don't know is whether he was reaching for a gun. We don't know what's in the car. We don't know anything. So the responsible position would be, in this particular case, you hold off on judgment. Maybe it's a bad shooting. Maybe it's not a bad shooting. Maybe it was racially driven, although we literally have no evidence of that. Maybe it's not racially driven. We do not know what happened here, right? That would be the responsible play here by the media. That would be the responsible play here by your political class. Unfortunately, responsibility matters not on Twitter, and it matters not in American public life anymore. Instead, everybody immediately jumps to their pre-existing Biases, And that is particularly true on the BLM left, which has decided that this is yet another example of an unarmed black man being shot for no reason at all by the police for racial reasons. And our politicians are simply repeating this. And so are our media. The headline from CNN today, Wisconsin police shoot black men as children watch from a car, attorney says. Okay, so we're, we're now just taking at face value what the attorney says with no additional evidence provided by the cops. The cops have not provided an account of what has happened as of yet at this hour. According to CNN, two Wisconsin police officers are on leave Monday as state authorities investigate why a black man was shot multiple times in the back as he entered. The driver's side door of an SUV official said among the witnesses to the Sunday evening shooting in Kenosha were the man's three sons, attorney Ben Crump and the American Civil Liberties Union said the man identified by the Wisconsin governor as Jacob Blake is in serious condition and fighting for his life. Trump posted a short video of the shooting, garnering almost 700,000 views, sparking protests that led county officials to institute a curfew until 7 a.m. That'd be 6 a.m. Eastern time on Monday. Protesters overnight broke windows and sprayed graffiti at a Kenosha County administrative building and torched vehicles at a nearby auto dealership. By the way, the the torching of the vehicles at the auto dealership was somewhat ironic, considering that the auto dealership literally had a giant sign out front that said Black Lives Matter didn't matter. They torched the vehicles anyway. A fire. I mean, you can see the video of it. It's it's incredible. I mean, these 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 cars are being burned. I don't know if the cars had anything to do with anything. Apparently, nothing. But they were being burned. And right outside, there is a uh, there's a big sign that says Black Lives Matter. So that's exciting stuff happening over in Wisconsin. A fire was started at the county courthouse. Officers in tactical gear formed a line to protect a public safety building, according to the local WISN CNN affiliate. Kenosha is about 40 minutes south of Milwaukee. We also have tape of in Kenosha, Wisconsin, we, we have tape of some BLM allies, maybe Antifa members, because the guy's white, who walks up literally to a sheriff's vehicle with a long gun drawn pointing at the sheriff. They stop. They, they literally are, are pointing weapons at a uh, at a sheriff's vehicle. And um Everything is going really well. Everything is going really, really well. Yeah, and naturally, yeah, this would be a good time for our political class so, you know, maybe take the temperature down a little bit. Wouldn't this be a good time for our public leaders to say things like, this is under full investigation. The police officers have been taken off duty while we investigate the incident and find out what happened here. Wouldn't that be a good time to say, let's let the process work? Every single officer involved shooting in the United States is fully investigated. That does not mean they're not incidents where officers go unpunished for things they should be punished for. That does happen. Okay, but... We have no evidence that's going to happen here. We have no evidence of what exactly happened here. And if you are the head of your state's law enforcement body, right? Let's say you're the governor of the state. Wouldn't you say at this point you're the head of the executive branch? Wouldn't you say at this point, let's wait for the process to work? But no, our politicians have decided there's much more hay to be made in suggesting openly that this is a racially driven bad police shooting based on no evidence whatsoever yet, right? Just based on that fragmentary tape. Police said they were called to respond to a domestic disturbance. It is unclear who called 911 or what happened before the recording begins. It's not clear from the video if both of the officers opened fire their two officers. The second officer has his gun out as the shots are heard. All officers are cooperating. Neither officer has been identified. DCI, which is the Department of Internal Affairs over there, is continuing to review evidence and determine the facts of this incident and will turn over investigative reports to a prosecutor following a complete and thorough investigation, the statement said. Okay, so what did our what did our wonderful members of the political class do here instead of taking down the temperature? And it does matter if you take down the temperature here, because we have seen situations already like within the last couple of weeks in which bad accounts of police shootings went viral and caused actual riots. Right, The Chicago Loop riots were caused by online rumors that a child had been shot unarmed by a police officer. It turned out not to be true at all. It turned out that there was a man shooting at police officers who was shot. Didn't matter. People went rioted in the Chicago Loop. By the way, rioting is not justified even if there's a bad shooting. We have answers for that in this country. That is called the police officer goes to jail. That is called the police officer is dragged up on charges, as they should be if you do something wrong. Okay, the, the answer to this is never burning crap in the streets, but our political class, at least on the left, have decided it is mostly important that they get their spilkas out on Twitter, that they go out there and they, and they show their, their, narrative, their narrative empathy on Twitter. And if you don't jump to a conclusion on Twitter, you're considered bad, right? If you wait too long, if you wait too long, then you're, if you say, maybe we should wait for the evidence and then I'll say that this fits into a pattern of X, Y, or Z, then you are considered bad and wrong and terrible. Our political incentive system rewards people who jump out front and back a narrative before the evidence is in. And then what if the evidence doesn't back it? We just ignore it. It just goes away, right? We just rewrite the situation, the factual situation in order to meet the narrative. This is what happened with Michael Brown. People still list Michael Brown among quote-unquote victims of police shootings despite the fact that the Obama DOJ found that shooting to be justified. Despite the fact that local prosecutors twice found that shooting to be justified, Michael Brown in all the lists is always included in the lists. Freddie Gray is always included in the list of wrongful police killings despite the fact that there was a full investigation into Freddie Gray's death and he was not actually murdered by the police. He died because they didn't buckle him into the back of the police van properly and then he banged his head, unfortunately. On the back of the police van, right. That that is the actual autopsy showing there was a full investigation done. All of Rashard Brooks is listed among the victims of police violence, even though he tried to tase two separate officers and was firing a taser at an officer when he was shot. The, the the individual facts of the circumstances don't matter. They don't matter at all. Only the narrative matters, and once the narrative has been set, then the victims and the villains have been drawn, and then we just. Change up the narrative in order. We just change up the facts in order to match the narrative. We're going to see this in, in just one second. And it really is egregious. It's, it's creating excuses for people to burn cities, which is terrible. And if you're a member of the political class, it is literally your job to prevent this from happening this is the only reason that you are in government is to prevent people from doing violence to one another and violating each other's rights. That is your only reason for being in government. And yet your suggestion is that riots are somehow justified because America is a deeply horrible, terrible, very evil place with no evidence yet in this case. None. By the way, we still don't know if Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd. First of all, whether he murdered him and the autopsies are, are conflicting, but we still don't know whether that had anything to do with race. There is no evidence it had to do with race rather than just police brutality. It doesn't matter. The nerve's already been set. And once the narrative is set, it cannot be unset. We're going to get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that the 2020 election is about turnout. Our opponents have their get out the vote machine. Good thing is, that conservatives have one too. I'm supporting a massive get-out-the-vote effort of our own, sponsored by my friends over at Job Creators Network. Here's how it works. You go to 10420.com, you take the 10 for 20 pledge, you'll receive a link that'll give you the most trusted voting information and tools you can use to join the largest conservative get-out-the-vote effort ever. You'll be contacted by email and asked to send a link and message to 10 people you know who care about America, family and neighbors, church and work friends. They make sure they sign the pledge and get the information they need to vote in person or by mail. The fact is, the the turnout in this election is gonna matter an awful lot. Folks on the left are spending an incredible amount of money to ensure that their turnout is very high in this election. We need a conservative get out the vote effort, and that is what 10420.com is. Go to 10420.com. Take the pledge right now. Don't let our political opponents outwork us. Do your part. Go to 10420.com now. That is the number 10. F O R the number 20.com. 10420.com. Go check them out right now. 10420.com. Get involved in boosting the get out the vote effort for conservatives. Okay, so how do our absolutely responsible politicians respond to all of this in the least responsible possible way? And truly, it's disgusting. When you have public officials who are backing a narrative without the evidence in, it's it's horrifying. So Governor Tony Evers, who is the governor of the state of Wisconsin, right? he's the governor where this happened. Here's what he said. He says, while we do not have all the details yet, what we know for certain is that he is not the first black man or person to have been shot or injured or mercilessly killed at the hands of individuals in law enforcement in our state, or our country. Do you understand how deeply horrifying that statement is from a politician? Well, we don't know anything about this shooting. We do know that all of these terrible things have happened in the past. What? 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 I mean, seriously, what? So you have a situation where you don't know whether a murder occurred or whether a justified shooting occurred, and you just lump it in with all of the racial murders of the past in the United States without any evidence in yet. Without any investigation yet, without any knowledge of who the officer is, without any discussion of who the suspect is, without any discussion of the situation surrounding the the officer and the suspect. That's just how it that that is the only thing that we know. Right, is that we know that America is a deeply horrible, racist place It's not just the governor of the state. It is his responsibility to keep his state from burning. It is his responsibility, and he has completely betrayed that responsibility. It's not just him. It's politicians across the Democratic spectrum, Jamal Bowman who just won a contested primary in New York. He just beat Elliot Engel. So he's going to enter Congress because that's a very Democratic district. He tweeted out, three boys just saw their father shot seven times in the back by police. No gun, no struggle. He was just walking away, praying for Jacob Blake to make a speedy and full recovery. The issue is systemic. The Senate needs to respond boldly and humanely. This is why we scream BLM. No gun, no struggle. How do you know that? How does he know? Like, seriously, how do we know? We don't know yet. Maybe... Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. I don't know. He doesn't know. It does not matter. I mean, it literally does not matter. If it turns out there was a gun in the car and this guy was reaching for the gun in the car, they'll just say, well, they didn't know there was a gun in the car, so why did did they shoot him? Why didn't they tase him? Why didn't they tackle him? All of our newfound police experts who have put their lives on the line to protect their communities 0%. It's very exciting stuff to watch our politicians virtue signal at the expense of police officers without any evidence. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who has watched her city burn The same Mayor Lori Lightfoot, by the way, who recently defended a ban on protesters on her block. She literally was fine with Chicago's loop being burned out, but she has allowed the Chicago Police Department to ban protesters being able to demonstrate on the block where she lives. She told reporters last Thursday she and her family at times required heightened security because of the threats she receives daily. Lightfoot refused to elaborate on the specific threats. She receives them daily against herself, her wife and her home, she says. She says, I think residents of the city, understanding the nature of the threats that we are receiving on a daily basis, on a daily basis, understand I have a right to make sure that my home is secure. Oh, really, Lori Lightfoot. So you have a right to expect that your home is secure, but nobody else's home is secure. Just you, just you. We had the same thing with Jenny Durkin, the mayor of Seattle, in the middle of Chaz Chop when they set up the separate republic in the middle of Seattle, where people's businesses were overrun by an actual anti-government, anti-American rebellion. And she allowed that to happen for weeks on end. She only got pissed when people started marching on her home. In Portland, we've seen Mayor Ted Wheeler allow people's businesses, their homes to be threatened. We're seeing it in Washington, D.C. We're seeing it in New York. We're seeing it in Los Angeles. We're seeing all this stuff happen. The only people who matter are our political class. Only our political class matter. They get to say whatever irresponsible, insane thing they want to say, but they are protected, so they're fine. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, her house is protected. Doesn't matter. The Chicago loop gets basically ransacked. So what did she tweet about this? Quote, Yesterday in Wisconsin, a police officer shot Jacob Blake, an unarmed black man, a father, seven times in the back. I am deeply disturbed by the video capturing part of the incident. I urge civil and criminal authorities to pursue an immediate and thorough investigation of the shooting. First of all, they are doing an immediate and thorough investigation of the shooting. Second of all, she's disturbed by the video capturing part of the incident. If you don't have the whole incident, then sure, that part of the video is disturbing. I mean, whenever somebody gets shot on video, it's disturbing. But, wouldn't you want to have like the whole video when you want to know all the circumstances? And it doesn't matter because she's already characterized the situation. It's a police officer shooting Jacob Bla- Blake, an unarmed black man. Again, we don't know if he was unarmed. A father seven times in the back. And they won't mention the fact, you know, of the of the prior criminal record. Like if you're going to take into account only the things that we know, then perhaps the prior criminal record goes into the officer's thinking. They pull up a rap sheet on the guy while they're driving to the place, perhaps. I mean, we don't know the answer to any of that doesn't justify the shooting. Yet we don't know. But that's the whole point. We don't freaking know. I'm saying we don't know. Why can't these people say we don't know? And the answer is because the narrative matters way more, way more than the actual facts of the case. Representative Joe Kennedy, who's running for Senate in, in Massachusetts, he tweeted out there will be no end to the police brutality and white supremacy. Black Americans confront on a daily basis without action and real change. Jacob Blake, an entire nation is praying for you. He literally does not know what happened here because no one knows what happened here. I didn't realize that Joe Kennedy was now God. There will be no end to the police brutality and white supremacy black Americans confront on a daily basis. No end to it. It's like when Michelle Obama said at the convention last week, there's a never ending list of black people shot by police. Nope, that, that list ends. It turns out that list ends. It turns out the list of unarmed black men shot unjustifiably by police is in like low double digits. And even that is disputed. It's the Washington Post database. So it turns out that list has an end. Joe Kennedy saying there's no end to police brutality and white supremacy. Weird, because there was a Gallup poll that was done two weeks ago that say 81% of black Americans want the same level of policing in their communities or more policing in their communities, which is a weird thing to want if you are constantly being targeted by the police on, on racial basis. Our politicians are so damned irresponsible, so unbelievably irresponsible, we still don't know what happened here, but none of that matters. None of that matters. And these riots are now taking place in major cities across the country. It's, it's horrifying. I mean, truly. We're going to get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about why exactly you're paying too much for your cell phone bill. There is no reason to do that. You may assume your cell phone bill will always cost exactly what it costs, but that's not true. There are easy savings you can find. Right now, who's your wireless provider? AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. What if I told you Pure Talk USA uses the exact same network as one of those carriers? Same tower, same exact coverage, but literally costs you half. How do they make it so affordable? Well, there are no retail stores, so low overhead. You're not funding their billion-dollar ad campaigns. You're only paying for the data you need. No contract, no excessive fees. You'll enjoy unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data, all for just 20 bucks a month. That's right. The average person is saving four hundred dollars a year on their wireless bill when they switch to Pure Talk USA. So grab that mobile phone, dial pound two fifty, say Ben Shapiro. When you do, you get two hundred fifty bucks off any iPhone, including the brand new iPhone SE. Again, that is pound two five zero. Say keyword Ben Shapiro. Pound two five zero. Say keyword Ben Shapiro to get started with Pure Talk USA. You're paying too much money for your cell phone bill. You're probably not using the unlimited data that you are paying for. So why not cut that cell phone bill down? There is no reason to be spending four hundred bucks extra a year. On your wireless bill, go check out Pure Talk USA by dialing pound 250 and saying Ben Shapiro. Okay, so our deeply irresponsible politicians across the United States. There was all this violence in Wisconsin last night. The violence continues in places like Denver. So Denver is a new site of violence. According to CBS Local in Denver... Denver City leaders hosted a news conference on Sunday to discuss arrests and destruction from riots on Saturday night. A group of about 50 to 75 people rioted outside the Denver Police Department headquarters. According to Murphy Robinson, Denver's public safety director, they brought weapons to the table. They had guns. They brought explosives, axes, machetes, and had one in ten purpose, and that was harm to our officers. I want these anarchists to hear me clearly and loudly. This will not be tolerated in our city. You are not welcome here. Robinson went on to say the city plans to do everything in its power to stop these violent acts. He said, effective immediately, I'm suspending the command PR bond jail inmate cap I put in place due to COVID-19, which basically allowed people to just be released from jail. The cap aimed to prevent the spread of coronavirus in the jail. Multiple businesses suffered damage, including the Quiznos. So that was exciting. Black Bloc was just running around smashing businesses. Black Bloc is, of course, an anarchist group. Robinson, by the way, is black. He says, I want to speak to you as a black man and as a Denver native. The narrative that these anarchists are marching for justice for black lives is frankly false. The public needs to know you do not represent us. Stop using the color of my skin to tear up my city. So Denver becomes yet another city overrun by anarchists and rioters and looters declaring themselves in support of Black Lives Matter. Also, remember that time that the federal officers were largely removed from Portland and then Portland continued to burn? We are now in the 13th straight week of riots in Portland. So well done, Mayor Ted Wheeler and the Portland Police Department that has been hamstrung by this garbage mayor. According to KGW-8, protests in Portland have continued for the 13th straight week. Since the death of George Floyd, demonstrators have taken to the streets to protest systematic racism, police brutality, and a call to defund Portland Police Department. Saturday night, about 250 protesters gathered at Normandale Park in Portland before a direct action march. The march calls for the complete abolition of police and prisons, which sounds like a great plan while you're burning the entire city to the ground, you stupid pieces. Journalists on the scene are reporting that Portland police would not let the protesters cross in some areas. The police department said in a statement early Sunday morning to prevent anyone from getting hurt due to vehicles because there were, there were four vehicles that refused uh, that approached officers and refused to move because the officers had set up a line in front of the cars. A sergeant deflated two tires on one of the vehicles. The other vehicles then complied with orders to leave. The Portland Police Department said the incident commander tried to prevent protesters from marching to the Penumbra Kelly building because it had been the target of rioters on multiple occasions over the past few months. Apparently, someone ro- rolled a mock guillotine with a stuffed bear into the street. I don't know what. Paddington did, exactly. Multiple U.S. flags and the bear were then burned. Well, I don't know what the bear did. That that bear seems to be taking the brunt of it. Paint balloons were hurled at officers. Green lasers were pointed at law enforcement to try and blind them. And uh, large rocks were thrown at police officers as well. So things are going great over in Portland as per our usual arrangement. Okay, all of which suggests that Americans might want to care what's happening in their major cities. And they might want to care about the deep and disgusting irresponsibility of their major public officials who have declared that the facts do not matter, that the cops are always bad, and that in any disputed circumstances, you can simply assume that it is a reinforcement of the narrative that America is systemically evil and black people are systemically put upon by the system of the United States. That is the narrative that is now being drawn. And you can see the Democratic politicians caving to this. So Kamala Harris, our wonderful vice presidential candidate in the Democratic Party, she was asked over the weekend about the fact that in prior iterations of Kamala Harris, she has called for more policing in high crime communities because that is, in fact, the only way that you increase the both the life expectancy and the benefits of living in the United States for people who want to live in a law abiding community. You make sure that they can actually call on the cops. You want to know why high crime areas are high crime? Because there are not enough police officers. They're not because there are too few police. Not because you Not because you want to get rid of the police So here is Kamala Harris being asked about how she used to claim that we need more police officers in high crime areas. And here she is saying, well, you know, I'm going to avoid all that. I'm just going to talk about Black Lives Matter and how there's an entrenched status quo. And here's her anti-cop position. You conclude by saying that you wanted to see more police on the street. Do you still feel that way? Listen, I think that there is no question. First of all, when I wrote that book, um, we... Black Lives Matter did not exist, and I give full credit to the brilliance of that movement in terms of what it has done to advance a conversation that needed to happen a long time ago. What Black Lives Matter has done as a movement has been to be a counterforce against a very entrenched status quo around the criminal justice system in America. Unbelievable. What, what an unbelievable, unbelievably manipulative hypocrite this person is. I mean, my goodness, this is a person who was a prosecutor and she was pro-cop up until the point where it became politically non-beneficial for her to be a prosecutor and pro-cop. And then all of a sudden she shifts into Black Lives Matter is a wonderful counterforce. Okay, I understand protesting against police brutality. I understand wanting to relieve qualified immunity. I've talked about it repeatedly on the show. I've talked about police unions. I've talked about all these things. But if you're going to claim that You no longer need police in high crime communities because Black Lives Matter is doing a good job. You're going to pretend that protests and rioters have nothing to do with the Black Lives Matter movements we've been seeing around the country, which is insane. Okay, these are growing out of Black Lives Matter protests. It's funny how the media used to maintain the the stark separate division between rioters and protesters. And then as soon as the rioters and the protesters started to gain the upper hand and it became nearly impossible to ignore them, then it became, well, maybe it's justified. Maybe it's kind of justified. I'm, we went through four nights of a Democratic National Convention last week in which rioters and looters didn't exist. They just didn't exist. Poof, they're gone. Absolutely incredible. And by the way, do I trust Kamala Harris on race and racism in the United States? No, I do not. I think she's a Machiavellian manipulative damned liar. How do I know that she's a liar? I'll show you in just one second. I mean, she's a brutal liar. We'll get to that in just one second. It's amazing she's being upheld as an example of racial Uh, of of some sort of racial spokesperson in the United States, considering how she has used the issue of race in order to either advance or not advance a particular agenda. It's really incredible. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that there are people who are interested in stealing your stuff, and they can do it without actually having to break into your home. Well, the fact is that COVID-19, how does that have to do with losing your home? Well, it could have a lot to do with losing your home. The FBI reports that cybercrime is up 75% since the virus hit. One cybercrime you should worry about is home title theft. The legal documents to your home are now kept online. And cyber thieves, foreign and domestic, know that. If you don't protect your home's title, well, there is the possibility that something bad could happen. Thieves could forge your name on a quick claim deed. So somebody could actually just do that and then sell your home. They slap a fake notary seal on it, refile as the new owner of the home. This has actually happened to people. Then they take out loans against the home. They leave you in debt. Your bank may not protect you. Neither does your insurance or common identity theft, guys. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect tampering, they shut it down. So go check out hometitlelock.com. Register your address to see if you've already been a victim of something like this. Then use code Shapiro for 30 free days of protection. That is code Shapiro at hometitlelock.com. Protect yourself against hackers who could try and grab the title to your home to make all sorts of financial trouble for you. Go to hometitlelock.com. Again, that's Home, title lock.com. Use code Shapiro for 30 free days of protection. Okay, so again, Kamala Harris, what an awful hypocrite. She spends years as tough prosecutor, cracking down on crime. And then the minute she becomes a vice presidential candidate, Black Lives Matter is doing incredible work against law enforcement all over the United States. Why don't I trust Kamala Harris on even her even the authenticity of her newfound racial progressivism? Because she's just she's willing to say literally anything. She's just a damned hypocrite. Okay, so you remember early on in the primary race when she labeled Joe Biden a racist, she suggested that Joe Biden was trying to stop little girls like her from attending interracial schools, from attending integrated schools, integrated public schools, right? She even sold shirts that said, a little girl like me. Right? That was her thing. So she was asked about this on ABC. Okay, so she's on ABC News and she's asked specifically about this. And here is her answer. Okay, she's she's willing to say anything. Our politicians are willing to say anything. Yeah, they're not ge- So many of these politicians are not genuine about solving racial problems in this country. If you want to solve racial problems in this country, you know what you do? You actually look at the conditions under which racial problems become a problem. You look at behavior. You look at the fact that high crime communities need more cops. You look at the fact that people need school choice. You look at the fact that we need more fathers in communities. You look at the fact that we need to incentivize people to stay in school. Right? These are all systemic problems that much more greatly affect black Americans than the prevalence of cops in communities, or or by the way, pulling cops from the communities. But Kamala Harris is not willing to talk about anything that's not convenient to Kamala Harris. So here's Kamala Harris over the weekend being asked specifically about basically implying Joe Biden is a racist. What? I can't believe that people trust our politicians. I cannot believe it, frankly. Here's Kamala Harris. Can't get past the debate. A lot of people cannot let that go the way you challenged him. So how did you go from there to here? I want Joe Biden to be the next president of the United States. I believe in Joe Biden. I believe in his perspective. And frankly, I think that conversation is a distraction from what we need to accomplish right now and what we need to do. These are the people you trust. Don't worry if she tweets about about this this person who is shot. She tweets about Jacob Blake. Then magically, everybody will believe that she's empathetic about these issues. But there she is basically saying, yeah, sure, I call them a racist. But you know what? It doesn't matter anymore because I'm trying to get ahead. Does it really? Does it really matter? The the manipulation of the narrative by members of the media for political gain, by members of our political class for political gain, and then the cities burn. There are real life consequences to this stuff. There are people who suffer because of this stuff. There are people who die because of this stuff. It is it is incredible. I'm not saying people die because of Kamala Harris's commentary. I'm saying that people die when you forward the narrative that America is a deeply racist, systemically evil place, and then people riot on that basis. I'm saying that. These things have consequences because they do. We're watching the consequences in the streets every night in major cities around the country. We're watching it happen. And the media just forward these narratives. They forward the narratives because the narratives, not only do they believe in them, but they also allow people to to restructure American society along the lines that they wish to see. How far does some of this racial rhetoric go? Well, if you look at our media, our media are even worse than our political class because the media at least supposedly have an incentive to tell the truth, but apparently not. Remember that time that, that Jamel Hill, so she's a commentator. I, I will at least acknowledge she's not an objective journalist, right? She's, a, she's an opinion person. So opinion person, Jamel Hill, who has opinions professionally, which is fine. I also have opinions professionally. Jamel Hill used to be hired by ESPN. And then she was let go because she was even too woke for, the, for, for MSNBC with footballs. Then she was hired by The Atlantic. Remember, The Atlantic was a place... That was so establishment that Kevin Williamson was too much for them. Kevin Williamson of National Review. Well, now she writes for The Atlantic and she tweeted out over the weekend, quote, been reading Isabel Wilkerson's new book cast. Right. This is the hot new book pushed by Oprah Winfrey that suggests that America is basically like the Indian caste system, which is why, of course, untouchables have been elected to the highest leadership positions in India. Oh, wait, they haven't in the United States. We've had a black president elected overwhelmingly twice. But she says, been reading Isabel Wilkerson's new book, Cast, and if you weren't of the opinion that the United States wasn't nearly as bad as Nazi Germany, how wrong you are. Can't encourage you enough to read this masterpiece. Now, um, it seems to me that there were some differences between the United States and a Nazi Germany, even during the worst of Jim Crow, such as we didn't murder six million black people in the United States in a systemic genocide. That seems like a, a minor difference that you might want to uh, note there. And it does not excuse Jim Crow. It does not excuse the evils of American racism. But the narrative drawn that America is just like Nazi Germany or like the caste system in India is so patently absurd on its face. And yet that gets pushed. Okay, that that narrative is being pushed by by major publications. It's being pushed by members of the media. Other racial narratives that are being pushed is that racism only works in one direction. So if you are racist in another direction, then anything can be racism except for certain things. Right, so for example, Democrats are now suggesting that if you mispronounce Kamala Harris's name, that is racist, that's absurd. Maybe you just mispronounced her name. It's not the easiest name to pronounce. But this has become a Democratic talking point. It's racist to mispronounce Kamala Harris's name. There's literally an article from the AP about this over the weekend. When top Republicans, including President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence, mispronounced Democratic vice presidential nominee, Kamala Harris's first name, it's not just disrespectful, it's racist, according to the Democrats. Because it's pronounced Kamala, not Kamala. I mean, like, come, uh, so that, that uh, let's just say, let's point out, okay, here, here's the news standard from the narrative setters in American politics. You don't need evidence when there is an interracial shooting of a white police officer on a black person. Then you don't need evidence. It is purely in evidence of America's systemic racism. If a black person shoots a white person, we just don't report it in the United States. It doesn't make any dent at all. The media just, it's not a national story because obviously- Racism doesn't exist on, on, in that direction. It just, it's, it's not something we care about. America is just like Nazi Germany, except if a Democrat gets elected, then it's all wonder and light, as Joe Biden said. How do we know, by the way, that racism only exists on, on one side, according to this narrative? So over the weekend, there was an NBA player. This, this guy's name is Montrezl Harrell. Montrell Harrell. He plays for the Los Angeles Clippers. And there is a European origin player named Luka Doncic, and probably pronouncing his name incorrectly, he plays for the Dallas Mavericks, tremendous player. And in the middle of the game between the Mavericks and the Clippers, this Montreal Harold person, he called he called Doncic a bitch ass white boy. That is a direct quote. Right? You can see it happening on tape. Right? Bitch ass white boy. So, what did the NBA do about this? Well, the, the NBA did nothing about this. Nothing. Literally nothing. They said we had a conversation. A conversation, right? Because racism doesn't exist in this direction. Doc Rivers, who's the coach of the LA Clippers. Here's what Doc Rivers had to say about this particular quote. Quote, you just have to be careful. They were both talking. I don't think Luca was saying anything racial, but he was swearing. So they were both doing it. They were both doing it. So swearing is now the same as a racial slur is what, we, is what we've been told. In fact, what, what Doc Rivers says, this wasn't even a racial slur. When you say bitch ass white boy, it has nothing to do with color. He said it's an emotional game. It's a playground game out there in the playoffs. I said to him, hey, I don't think he meant anything racially by it. He said, white boy, but I don't think there was anything racial intended, which is a weird way to say something non-racial. But we are in a very heightened climate. You have to be careful. Trey was the first one to say that. He said, I didn't mean that radical I didn't mean that racially. And I said it doesn't matter. It's what's perceived. Make sure you do the right thing. Now listen, I'm fine with everybody lightening up on their reactions to this kind of stuff. I am. But we are now living in a society where we are told that without evidence, racism is the defining factor of American life and that every disparity is attributable to American racism. But if a black person says to a white person, bitch ass white boy, it is inherently non-racial. Does this sound like a consistent standard to you? Does this sound logical to you in any way? Or does it sound like a narrative is being drawn and that the narrative doesn't care about the evidence? The, The evidence simply doesn't matter. All that matters in the end is the narrative. End of story. America is systemically racist. White people are systemically discriminating against black people. Black people are incapable of being racist. By the way, this is one of the points of the so-called anti-racism contingent is that racism isn't just discrimination. Racism is discrimination combined with power. And because white people hold the power based on the perverse conspiratorial worldview of the anti-racist, that means that only white people can be racist. And you also don't need evidence of racism in order to claim racism. The predictable result of this is to divide Americans and to make Americans more polarized. The, the way that normal people should act about this stuff is to look at each other as individuals. I know that's verboten. We're not allowed to do that anymore. Look at each other as individuals. Look at each, indivi- each individual incident based on its fact pattern, but we just don't do it. It's not worthwhile anymore, so we just don't do it. Okay, in a second, we're going to get to the RNC because this is going to be one of the themes of the RNC, and frankly, it should be one of the themes of the RNC. The city's burning seems like a rather major theme that Democrats completely elided for eight long hours of primetime DNC last week. We learned that the Black Lives Matter movement is completely wonderful and great and the protesters are the best of us, as Barack Obama suggested. The riots and the looting don't exist. And America's systemically racist, except if Joe Biden gets elected, in which case he brings the light. The 80-year-old white man, he brings the light and everything is all better. Even if you're a Black Lives Matter protester, I wonder if you believe the crap that's being fed to you about how Joe Biden, an 80-year-old, an octogenarian white man who used to work with segregationist senators, is going to heal all racial wounds in the country. Are you that much of a sucker if you're on the hard left? Seriously. We'll get to more of this in just one second. We'll get to the RNC, which begins tonight. But first, imagine you're walking through a parking lot and you're with your kids. And as you approach your car, you see somebody closing in and something seems wrong. So you calmly move in front of your kids and you turn toward this person. And the person starts to move toward their own gun. The person is now 30 feet away. You don't make a move yet, but you can feel that you have a gun on your hip. And so you say, stay back. And then the attacker understands what criminals comprehend. He's picked the wrong target and he turns around. And your kid says, what's wrong? You say, nothing. Everything is fine. In this day and age, you may need a gun to protect your family and yourself. I and mean, this is unfortunately becoming more and more common in major cities across the United States. This is why you should be a responsible gun owner. One of the purposes of responsibly owning and using a gun is to make sure you never have to use a gun. Get your 100% free copy of the Complete Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide from the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. It is 164 pages. It comes with a bonus audio version, so you can listen whenever you want. Just text PROTECT to 87222. It's not just important to own a firearm. You actually have to know how to use it and how to handle it so that you never have to use it. That's the point. You'll get instant access and a chance to win 1000 bucks when you text PROTECT to 87222. So you can buy a gun to protect your family. Text PROTECT to 87222 right now to get that free, complete concealed carry and a family defense guide from the USCCA. Text PROTECT to 87222 right now. Okay, in just one second, we're going to get to the RNC because the RNC begins tonight. And you can bet that some of the thematics are going to focus in on the burning of America's major cities. But first... If you haven't heard by now, Joe Biden is officially the Democratic Party's presidential nominee for 2020. We know because we made our own Matt Walsh suffer through his acceptance speech at the DNC. Matt is still unhappy about this. In fact, he is cowering in his own basement right now. I believe he's in like fetal position crying. However, we were not just torturing Matt for fun. I mean, we were. But also, he was hosting All Access Live over at DailyWire.com with our All Access members, Daily Wire's most exclusive membership tier. All Access members get to join these All Access Live sessions where one of us hosts every night One of us will jump on every night to chat with you, both in live stream and in the comments. Usually, the sessions are casual hangouts. On special occasions, we will host watch parties like Matt's last week. Again, this Thursday, August 27th, we'll be doing it. Live streaming an all-access live watch party for the final night of the RNC, hosted by none other than the execrable Michael Knowles. I have a prediction. He will like President Trump's speech. The live stream will start at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 p.m. Pacific, a few minutes before the convention kicks off. All-access membership also features not one, but two... Leftist series Tumblers with your membership, as well as early, sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. So head on over to dailywire.com Shapiro right now, get 20% off all access with coupon code ACCESS. That is dailywire.com Shapiro with coupon code ACCESS to get 20% off your membership. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. All righty, so the RNC tonight, I'm sure, is going to focus in on the riots and the looting. And that is not a politically driven decision by itself. I mean, the fact is that when you go eight hours of Democratic National Convention time and nobody can condemn Antifa, nobody can condemn the Black Lives Matter looters and rioters, not the protesters, the rioters and the looters, right? Some of whom are indeed protesters who morph into rioters and looters when it becomes time. They, they, they can pretend for a full eight hours of prime time that this stuff doesn't exist. And then they can have Kamala Harris go on national television and say that the BLM movement is pushing us toward a better America. And I'm wondering how. Does it feel like America is getting better over the past several months? If it does, I'm just wondering, what is your evidence of this? Like, seriously, are race relations better in the country? Do you feel like we've moved toward actual solutions? Or does it turn out that when Senator Tim Scott, the black Republican from South Carolina, proposes an actual police reform bill and Democrats filibuster the thing to prevent a solution, this is really much more about narrative drawing and pure politics than it is about solving problems. So as it turns out, Americans do, in fact, care about what is happening Right now in America's major cities, there's a new Gallup poll out and it shows that 59% of Americans say that they are concerned about the levels of violent crime that are happening in America's major cities and the burning of America's major cities. That is just slightly lower than the 63% of Americans who say that coronavirus is one of their top priorities. So this is a major issue. The media have completely downplayed it. The media have completely ignored it. And you can bet your bottom dollar that Republicans are going to focus on it at the RNC, which they absolutely should, as Democratic politicians continue to, simply without evidence, suggest that America is an evil, systemically racist caste system. According to The Wall Street Journal, there are some signs of life for the Trump campaign. There's a new poll from The Wall Street Journal, NBC News. The president's share of support, which is at 41 percent, has not topped 44 percent this year against Joe Biden. He trails the former VP in aggregated polling of most battleground states, although his deficit is smaller than is in national polls. But his position may be stronger than head-to-head polling shows. At this point in the last election, Trump trailed his Democratic opponent by nine percentage points in Journal-NBC News polling. He still does. His public image has actually picked up some shine. More voters saw Trump in a negative light than a positive one in the most recent poll by a margin of about 12 percentage points. But at this point four years ago, the negative outnumbered the positive by 33 percentage points. He apparently has an improved image among white voters. He lags behind his 2016 vote share as recorded by exit polls. But white voters in the most recent journal NBC News survey were divided almost equally between positive and negative views of the president, about 20 points higher than he was doing last time around. He is holding steady with Hispanics as well. Some 31% of Hispanics say they will back the president, which is slightly higher than the 28% who voted for him in 2016. Republican intensity is also beginning to build. And apparently... Up for grabs, voters are still leaning Republican, which is good news for him. According to that Journal-NBC News survey in July, they looked at voters who haven't ruled out either candidate and are in play. Those voters as a group have characteristics that suggest they are open to Trump and his party, according to the Wall Street Journal. Some 22% have a positive image of Trump. Only 11% have a positive image of Joe Biden. They prefer a candidate who will confront the Washington establishment, which is one of Trump's key pitches. And of course, Trump still leads on the economy and voters dislike both parties. So this, this election is not quite over yet. So you can expect that the president is going to focus in on two things. One, his, his own ubiquity, right? He's going to focus in on that. And he's going to focus in on the crime issues that have been plaguing America's major cities. Apparently he's going to speak every single night at the RNC. Now, I don't know whether that is a particularly good strategy. You usually want to build up some sort of drama. But I guess that, look, Trump knows more about reality TV than virtually anybody alive. I mean, the man was, this is one of the areas where Trump was successful. Area, other areas, he has exaggerated his success. The man was a very, very successful reality TV host. So he knows how this stuff works. He's probably figuring, listen, not everybody's going to watch the last night. We're going to have different audiences every night. So I'll show up every single night. According to Jason Miller, he said, you'll have President Trump speaking at various parts for each of the nights. Miller said that the RNC will tell a beautiful story. Miller said, one of the things you're gonna see this week is a complete change in the perception that the media tries to tell about what a Trump supporter looks like or who a Trump supporter is. We're gonna talk about the American story. We're gonna see a great uplifting message from the president and from our allies. And Chuck, when I tell you some of these stories you hear, they're gonna be some breakout stars. Some people you would not expect to be supporters of the president. It's gonna be a very beautiful story. So here are some of the people who are going to be appearing. So you're going to get Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina who will appear, which is, you know, something that, that was a uh, controversial Uh, You're going to get Steve Scalise of Louisiana. Matt Getz, of course, of Florida is a big fan of the president, obviously. Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio. Nikki Haley will be there. You're going to see the RNC chairwoman, of course. And then you're going to see Amy Johnson Ford, who's one of the people who's helped out by criminal justice reform, I believe. Uh, You're going to see Kim Klasick, who is a candidate in Baltimore. She cut a video that went absolutely viral talking about how horribly Baltimore has been run for years. You'll see Mark and Patricia McCloskey. That was that couple in St. Louis who were brought up on charges for defending their property. You will see Andrew Pollack, uh, who had a relative who was murdered uh, in a mass shooting and has been a big supporter of the president. Those are the Monday speakers. On Tuesday, you're going to see First Lady Melania Trump, Mike Pompeo, Senator Rand Paul will be appearing. You will see uh, a group of Nick Sandman, who's the, the kid who was targeted in the Covington Catholic scandal. And then there are a bunch of names that I really don't know and who I'm sure we will get to see over the course of time. I believe that uh, the the entire Johnson family basically is showing up. One is speaking every night. Alice Johnson was one of the lead figures in the criminal justice reform, if I got that name wrong, in the first place. So it'll be interesting to see how they program this thing. And apparently they're banking on some surprises that will change the narrative a little bit. According to Bloomberg, Trump said that he's going to go live as much as humanly possible. He's also teasing the promise of at least a few surprises. The convention represents one of Trump's last chances to make the case and write the sputtering campaign. Look, the bottom line is what he needs to focus in on is the unrest in America's major cities. And I'm frankly shocked that he has not done a better job of touting his actual record on COVID. So the president has said many stupid things over the course of the past six months on COVID, but the actual record of the administration and getting governors what they want is pretty good. Like if they do not have sometime in this primetime convention, just a mashup of all the democratic governors saying that Trump gave them what they need, that is political malpractice. I've been saying it for weeks at this point. I'm shocked they have not done it so far. All of which led, by the way, the president to make an announcement over the weekend that was highly controversial because it looks like he's politicizing the pursuit of solutions on COVID-19. Basically, the day before the convention starts, Trump issued an emergency use authorization for blood plasma. He called it transformative. The actual science shows that it may have some effect, blood plasma. There's a study from the Mayo Clinic that shows that it'll have some effect. Is it a, is it a cure-all? no. Uh, Is it an effective therapeutic? Uh, The the evidence appears to be yes, although the evidence is still coming in. And so there's been a lot of controversy over whether Trump is rushing the emergency use authorization for blood plasma for political reasons. Doing it the day before the RNC certainly suggests that, right? On a political level, it's just, it seems like manipulative to to do that, period. Now, again, I think blood plasma has been used in a variety of treatments, so it really is not all that controversial medically. But it looks like you you are pushing for a solution before the RNC for political purposes, uh, and uh, you make it pretty transparent when you do it the day before the RNC. Here is Trump over the weekend. Today, I'm pleased to make a truly historic announcement in our battle against the China virus that will save countless lives. The FDA has issued an emergency use authorization. And uh, that's such a, a powerful term, emergency use authorization for a treatment known as convalescent plasma this is a uh, powerful therapy that transfuses very very strong antibodies from the blood of recovered patients to help treat patients battling a current infection so frankly this is a good thing as a as a full-time libertarian uh, i have always had serious problems with the fda uh, I, I don't think that you need a federal government agency slowing up medications for two, three years. It turns out there is legal liability that attaches to putting out bad drugs in the public marketplace. And, you know, who knows that the drug companies uh, The the very idea that you have to go through some sort of FDA approval process in order for there to be emergency blood uh, convalescent blood plasma authorization seems to me foolish in the extreme. Um, but doing this the day before the RNC and then declaring it a breakthrough obviously looks very political. It also looks political when the president starts tweeting about how his own administration is blocking him. So On Saturday, Trump suggested that employees at the FDA were sabotaging his reelection by slowing down coronavirus research. He said members of the deep state at the FDA were making it hard for drug companies to, quote unquote, get people in order to test the vaccines and the therapeutics and obviously want to delay progress until after the November 3rd election day. You know, the evidence of this uh, I have not seen. It seems to me that if you are in the FDA, you probably don't want to slow down the collection of information about vaccines. And again, I've seen no evidence of that. The president is always saying the quiet part out loud. And to suggest that your own administration is blocking you from, from pushing forward as hard as you can is silly, especially because it makes it look as though, okay, fine, so then take control. Then take control. I mean, seriously, if you believe that, take control. The The fact is that he doesn't need to do any of this. What he needs to do is point out the fact that when the media were focused on ventilators, he got people the ventilators. When they are focused on PPE, he got people the PPE. Remember how PPE and ventilators were like, case number one and 1A and how Trump was doing a bad job. And then he got all the ventilators and all the PPE and then it just disappeared. Well, now he's pushed forward with warp speed on the vaccine. And there's good information coming out that these vaccines may be effective by the end of the year, which would be frankly miraculous because usually it takes a decade to develop an effective vaccine on diseases. And that'd be pretty like, I, I don't understand why he's telling a story about an FDA trying to obscure the process when he could be telling a story about how he's done a pretty good job of trying to ensure that everybody gets what they need. And he could be telling an even better story about how the Democrats want to shut the entire economy down again. I mean, that's the best story here for for the Republicans is we've been looking at gradual reopening. We've been getting people what they need. Republican governors have been ensuring that the nursing homes are protected, while also ensuring that people can go out and live their lives and still have death rates that are much lower than blue states like New Jersey and New York and Massachusetts and Connecticut. And meanwhile, Joe Biden is openly talking about shutting down the entire American economy again. Over the weekend, I mean, how is this not a campaign ad? Over the weekend, Joe Biden said that he would shut down the entire American economy again over COVID, which is patently crazy. Here's Joe Biden. Would you be prepared to shut this country down again? I would be prepared to do whatever it takes to save lives because we cannot get the country moving until we control the virus. That is the fundamental flaw of this administration's thinking to begin with. In order to keep the country running and moving and the economy growing and people employed, you have to fix the virus. You have to deal with the virus. So if the scientists say shut it down, I would shut it down. I would would shut it down. It should be an ad. I would shut it down if the scientists say, okay, the scientists are always going to say shut it down. Because, again, if your job as a scientist is to, quote unquote, prevent the spread. And your job as a scientist is not to take into account any countervailing considerations like kids not going to school, like entire economies dying, like the fact that the lockdowns have not been particularly effective in general at doing anything beyond delaying people receiving the virus, but they certainly have not actually prevented the virus from spreading in the long term. Locking down the entire American economy at a time when there is no uptick in New York, there is no uptick in New Jersey, there is no uptick in Connecticut. The only places that are seeing an uptick all over the world are are places that have not been hit by the virus yet. I mean, why is the president not campaigning on that? That's what he should have been saying over the weekend. What he should have been saying is Joe Biden wants to shut it all down. We need to find a way to reopen. Americans want to reopen. We're doing it safely. We're doing it securely. And we've already seen it wane in places like Arizona, Georgia, and Florida, where the media have been telling you that everybody's dying, right? That is the campaign. That's the campaign. Okay, meanwhile, the radicalism of the DNC on full display continues to be on full display. So over the weekend, apparently, the Biden campaign reversed itself on whether Linda Sarsour is an anti-Semite. I mean, this is truly incredible. So apparently over the weekend, you remember that Linda Sarsour was picked as a delegate for the, she was picked as a delegate for one of these Muslim caucuses during the day part of the, of the DNC. And Linda Sarsour is a virulent anti-Semite and the Biden administration came out, the Biden campaign came out and they said, well, you know, we don't agree with Linda Sarsour. Over the weekend, top aides to presidential candidate Joe Biden apologized to Arab and Muslim Democrats, according to Middle East net, over an attack on Linda Sarsour by the campaign. In a private call with dozens of prominent activists on Sunday, Ashley Allison, National Coalition's director for the Biden campaign, said she was very sorry for the comments a campaign spokesperson made against Sarsour. Top foreign policy advisor Tony Blinken also expressed regret over the incident during the virtual meeting. Remember that time where they said that the Biden campaign was fighting anti-Semitism? Yeah, apparently not. Also, it turns out that at least six of the speakers at the Democratic National Convention are backers of Louis Farrakhan, including Common, Freddie Haynes, Tamika Mallory, Linda Sarsour, James Clyburn, and Cory Booker. Right, All these people said that they would meet with, uh, with Louis Farrakhan. So the Democratic Party continues to be incredibly radical. Good news, however, the Democratic Party is also going to fund the post office. This was their big move over the weekend. They passed a bill to not relieve anyone's economic pains, but to give $25 billion to the post office to alleviate a non-existent scandal whereby the post office is out of money and can't handle mail-in ballots. That was very important stuff. Uh, This necessitated that the Democrats pretend the post office is good at its job. So Nancy Pelosi over the weekend suggested no business in America would be saddled with what we've saddled the post office with, which is patently crazy. It's not a business, it's a service. And while we always want to subject every federal dollar to the scrutiny of what we're getting for it, uh, let us remember that it is a service. No business that I can think of would ever be uh, saddled with what we've done to the Postal Service, saying uh, that they, in 2006, a bill passed that said that, that the Postal Service should pay 75 years of its health benefits in 10 years. I mean, who, who voted for that again? The, the complete restructuring of the postal services debt. Also, you know, what the postal service has been saddled with complete government bailouts on every front on every front. Meanwhile, by the way, AOC was speaking up about the post office like the Democrats focused in on the most important parts of American public life, namely a service that has been bankrupt for the last 14 years. And you can easily send mail through other means, including UPS and uh, FedEx. Here is here's is AOC. The Postal Service is how is not only how we send a ballot, it is how we get our medicine, it is how we send rent checks, it's where people are getting their tax refunds, it is a core service of any civilized society. And an attack on our Postal Service, and an attempt to dismantle our, our Postal Service out of a selfish desire to sabotage our democracy, And and maintain a grip on power is an attack on all of us. Uh, Good times. Good times. By the way, Joe Biden has just come out with a statement on Jacob Blake. Speaking of of responsible Democrats, Joe Biden, you're responsible Democrat. Here's his statement on Jacob Blake. It Just broke a moment ago. Quote, yesterday in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Jacob Blake was Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back as police attempted to restrain him from getting into his car. His children watched from inside the car and bystanders watched in disbelief. And this morning, the nation wakes up yet again with grief and outrage that yet another black American is a victim of excessive force. This calls for an immediate, full and transparent investigation and the officers must be held accountable. These shots pierce the soul of our nation. Joe and I pray for Jacob's recovery and for his children. Equal justice has not been real for black Americans and so many others. We are at an inflection point. We must dismantle systemic racism. It is the urgent task before us. We must fight to honor the ideals laid in the original American promise, which we are yet to attain, that all men and women are created equal, but more importantly, that they must be treated equally. Does he have any evidence that we have not heard about Joe Biden? Any evidence at all that we have not heard about at this point? The answer, of course, is no. The answer, of course, is no. He does not know what happened with Jacob Blake because you don't know what happened with Jacob Blake because I don't know what happened with Jacob Blake because no one knows what happened. When you say specifically in your statement that there has to be a full, transparent and immediate investigation, that suggests you don't know what the hell is going on. And yet there you have it. The former vice president of the United States being a racial demagogue on an issue where he does not have evidence. But good news, the media are focused in not on the racial demagoguery and the burning of America's of America's cities. They are focused in on really important things like the White House Rose Garden renovations. So over the weekend, the White House released photos of the renovation of the White House Rose Garden. They were they restored it to the original sort of Jackie O state of the renov- uh, of, of the Rose Garden. Last month, Melania Trump announced that she was taking on the project. By by adding technical updates, apparently future presidents will be able to use the space to broadcast events and presidential addresses. There were serious drainage problems and inaccessibility to disabled people. And so they've added some new pastel flowers. They have a diamond-like shape of boxwoods added. A dozen crabapple trees were removed and will be replanted elsewhere on the grounds. Also, a seating area has been removed and will be replaced by a yet-to-be-announced art installation. There's a three-foot-wide limestone walking path bordering the central lawn that is supposed to make the garden more accessible for people with disabilities. So good news. Apparently, the Democrats have lost their minds over this. The Howard Feynman of Newsweek, uh, who has just lost it, I mean, really lost it, and he's an NBC News analyst. He tweeted out, the Trump family did its best to turn the lovely Rose Garden into a neo-fascist parade ground. A neo-fascist parade ground. Howard Feynman. Kurt Eichenwald, who uh, is kind of a crazy person. He tweeted out, I still find it unbelievable that the first lady who has only been a citizen since the middle of G.W. Bush's second term had the audacity to wreck the Rose Garden to pull up history dating back a lifetime. These trashy, evil, stupid people need to get out of our house what gall she has. Yeah, focusing in on all the important issues like the White House at Rose Garden. Really, well done, everyone. Well done, everyone. Okay, now I'd be remiss if I did not make a very brief comment on the Kellyanne Conway controversy. That is the controversy of the day. So Kellyanne Conway, has now quit the Trump White House. She's going to leave by the end of the month. Uh, her husband George who's been involved in the Lincoln project which is a which is a grifter scam on behalf of Democrats. I say grifter scam because supposedly it is a conservative anti-Trump opposition except they're now endorsing people against Susan Collins in Maine. And so George Conway's been very anti-Trump for quite a long time. There's obviously enormous family family problems happening. They have a daughter, a 15-year-old daughter who is 15. She's trying to emancipate from her parents right now. She posts all of these these TikTok videos and these social media videos, and the left loves them because it is her basically crapping on her mom. And they never think, hey, wait a second, maybe a 15-year-old is not the most reliable source on family relations. And maybe also we should be letting 15-year-olds have their privacy, even if they wish to remove their privacy from themselves, even if they wish to alienate their own privacy. So now she she, she wrote on Twitter that um, apparently daughter, Claudia, had a deleted video where she accused her parents of physical abuse and asking for emancipation. She said that her mom was very physically abusive, very, very verbally abusive. She said at one point her mom had been, uh, she said, my mom got me arrested. She hasn't provided any evidence of this. So this is all really sad. Anybody who is laughing over it is making a very large scale mistake. Family problems are not generally something uh, to laugh at. It's, uh, It's one thing if you're talking about adults. Once the kids get involved, then it really is not something to laugh at. So hopefully the Conway family gets it together, and I'm glad for Kellyanne and for George that they're leaving their sort of public spat to the side and trying to rebuild uh, whatever is left of their um, family dynamic. All righty, so we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. There'll be a lot more then. Also, we'll be back here tomorrow morning, so stick around for that. Go subscribe over at dailywire.com. Pick up a copy of my more relevant than ever book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. You're listening to The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Klavan Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pava Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mix by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The Republicans are getting ready to gather for their convention while the Democrats are encouraging rioters to burn our cities down. Now, it's a clear choice. Anyway, we'll talk about it on The Andrew Clavin Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first.